Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you again, worship team. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, my, I am the lead pastor here at our Riverdale Church, and we are in the book of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament, the second book in the New Testament. If you don't know, the, know your Bible, um, it's like uh, almost three quarters of the way in. A lot of it is Old Testament, and then the New Testament recounts, uh, it starts with Jesus' uh, birth and his life and then his death and resurrection, and then it moves on to the, the church being started. And so this is the second book in the New Testament, and it is a, a, is it a recounting of what Jesus did here on earth. And we've been in this now for today's our sixth week. And I want to begin today by asking you a couple of questions. One is, what would, what would you do if you knew that heaven was coming soon? What would you do if you knew the date that Jesus was coming back? What would your life look like? I want you to think about that for a moment. If you're a believer here today, um, maybe you know a little bit of the Bible, what would your life look like? What kinds of things would you make priority? And what kinds of things would you say, you know what, that really doesn't matter, knowing that the end is coming soon? I want you to imagine for a moment heaven and what it will be like when this earth is changed and it is no more, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we are with God, and there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more mourning, but we'll be perfected in a way that we'll live forever. Our bodies won't wear out. We won't get tired. We, we won't wonder who God is and what he's like and if he loves us or if we're even in a real relationship with him. We won't be living by faith anymore, we'll actually be with God, get to see him, get to dwell with him, we'll get to know what is the real purpose of our existence. I want you to imagine that for a moment. Think of all the things in your life that cause you pain, the things that you know that are broken, the things about even your own physical body that frustrate you, things that don't work properly, or things that used to work but aren't working as much anymore. Think about relationships in your life where you have people that don't quite understand each other, even, even maybe it's your spouse or your child, and, and you love each other so much, but somehow your communication just doesn't seem to work out very well. It leads to fights. It leads to, there's insecurity, right? There's, there's, there's depression. There's emotion that causes Pain causes disruption. All of that will be gone. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not being tempted with sin anymore? Imagine not being tempted by the devil. Or these addictions, these things that we have in our lives that bring us so much guilt sometimes. Guilt and shame. As followers of Jesus, we know we ought not do that thing. We know we shouldn't watch that thing or say that or, or be spending our time in certain areas. But yet, for some reason, these things have a hold on us to the point where we don't have the power to let them go. Some of those things, all of those things, 
will be gone. Imagine that. The reason I bring that up to you is because when Jesus stepped foot on this earth, he started the process of the kingdom of heaven coming here. He started the process of restoring all of what has happened through the fall of humanity. Everything being broken and marred by sin. Everything is not working the way it used to be because of humanity's sin problem. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, the first human beings who disobeyed God, went against Him, causing this curse on everything, our world and even ourselves. But that is the reason why Jesus came. And when he steps on the scene, he's bringing heaven with him everywhere he goes. Not fully, but in a sense, he's coming to take ground back, to make things right. And why does he do that? Because he is the king and he wants his land back. It was stolen from him, in a sense. Or at least he allowed... Satan to come down to this earth and set up shop and let this be his playground. Right now, we live in the devil's playground. The Bible itself says that we follow after, or everyone in the world that doesn't know Jesus Christ follows after the devil because this is his time and his authority to reign here on earth. But Jesus has come 2,000 years ago to start taking that back because he's the king. He created this. So today, as we look at our verses, we're going to talk about what the king's priority is. What was most important to him? Him knowing that what he's doing is bringing about heaven on earth. He's restoring all things. What did he make his priority. So we're going to look at three things. I'm going to break it into three sections. We're going to talk about a busy day that he has, filled with compassion, filled with work, filled with healing, filled with fighting against the enemy. We're going to talk about he takes some time for prayer. He takes some time out of his busy day to to pray. And then at the end, he tells us what the real priority is for Jesus Christ. So let's get into this. The busy day. Jesus works day and night. We're going to see that in the text to show his compassion for people. But sometimes meeting the needs of a broken world can be draining. Now I want you to notice two things in this. That that Jesus is busy because he loves people. He does a lot of hard work because he loves people. And I want you to understand that about God is that God doesn't just look past all of our our, uh, finite physical needs and only look to our spiritual, but he also cares about us in a way that we can comprehend and understand. He loves us. He doesn't like seeing us in pain. And he's willing to pour himself out. That is the second thing I want you to see. He's willing to pour himself out for people because of his compassion. Mark Chapter 1, 29 through 31. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside and took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, 
Now, this is interesting. I want to stop right here for a moment. Because the book of Mark, if you were here for the introduction or if you've been here for a while, or maybe this is your first time coming today, uh, it doesn't matter if you are here or not, but I'm going to remind you that the book of Mark, we believe, is actually um, um, a lot of it was Peter's memoirs and words, and Mark was kind of like his scribe. Mark followed Peter around. Peter was uh, who we're actually talking about, Simon's mother-in-law. Simon's uh, other name is actually Peter. And so this is one of those things where we're going to see Peter pop up a lot in the text because for whatever reason, Mark thought it was important to include that on Jesus' busy day, last week we looked at Jesus in the synagogue preaching and he cast a demon out of a guy and, and, and then now this week he's left the synagogue. This is the same day, mind you, so he's still in this busy day. He just preached He's done some miracles. He cast out a demon. He was fighting with them. And then now we hear, uh, see that he, he left with his core four. He left the synagogue with his core four. That's Simon and Andrew, James and John. Those are the first four people that he's called to be his disciples so far. And it's interesting that Mark points out the fact that Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed. Now, this is something I think the Christian church kind of gets confused because Jesus does a lot of miracles in the New Testament. And even going on, um, even the apostles, they do these miracles for people in the New Testament. But oftentimes, those miracles are always about spreading the gospel. It's always about showing people their power and their authority, okay? Now, some, sometimes in this day and age, in the, in the Christian realm and in some different de denominations... They believe that since Jesus did miracles, then every ought, everybody ought to be doing miracles. And if there's a lot of sick people inside the church, then that ought to be this huge priority that, that God wants to heal everybody physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. He wants to take care of all of your problems this side of heaven. I don't really see that in the scripture. I don't really see that in the Bible, but I think... Because of our pain, because of our struggle, we want that, and we see in Scripture that Jesus has the power to do it. And so sometimes we question, well, why isn't God healing me, right? Why isn't God doing something? Am I not doing enough? Do I not have enough faith? Have I sinned too much? I mean, I think all of this insecurity starts coming up, but I think we need to understand that the majority of the reason why Jesus did miracles was to prove who he was. It was to pr prove his authority. And just knowing that heaven is coming later and eternal life is coming later should give us this ability to have endurance through the struggle, through the pain. Jesus suffered with us. He came down and suffered as an example for us. So we ought not think that we can get out of suffering, even if we are longtime Christians. That does not mean, though, that God still won't do a miracle in your life. Because of this, Simon's mother-in-law, he healed her. Now, Peter's one of the first inside of the Christian church. And, and so he decides to have some compassion on Peter's mother-in-law. It's amazing to me that Jesus took the time out of the inauguration of his mission and the starting of his kingdom 
to go have some compassion on one of his first followers, mother-in-law. That really shows us Jesus' heart for people. Secondly, I think that that shows us that the disciples, some of them were married. Okay, so I think a lot of people think that uh, all these followers of Jesus, the 12 disciples who followed Jesus around, they must have not been married because because they followed him wherever he went. And so now sometimes in, in, in our Christian lives we think, well, we can't really be like them and be real followers of Jesus because we got all these other priorities, right? We've got family, we've got kids, we've got uh, our spouse that has a lot of needs from us, we've got our career, we've got our job. But yet Peter, as we learned a few weeks ago, left all of his nets and how he lived, but he didn't leave his wife, I'll tell you that. He didn't leave the top priorities in his life to follow Jesus. He made it work. So that's just a little side note on this. But another thing about this is that she was sick in bed, and I want, I want to show you that this represents that she was probably close to death with a high fever. This meant that she couldn't do any work, the things that she'd been normally doing, and Jesus restores her so much so that it's, it's, it, it's nothing other than a miracle because not only is she not sick anymore, but she's able to resume her normal duties. It says the fever, fever left her and she jumped up to prepare a meal for them. So when Jesus heals, it's noticeable. It changes a person's situation so much so that they're able to not just be well, but to then go and do something with that wellness. Let's move on in these scriptures. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch, so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Now that's a confusing one. We're going to see that pop up several times in scripture, even next week, where Jesus tells people if he healed them or if he cast out a demon, he doesn't allow them to speak. He says, don't go tell my business, what I'm doing right now. This is actually called the, the messianic secret. It's, and, and, and scholars have done their best to try to figure out why did Jesus do this? Well, number one, I think the most prominent thing is that Jesus is king. He's going to decide how his kingdom comes about. He's not going to allow other people to mess it up for him. He's not going to allow other people to announce the kingdom before he's done rolling out the carpet, before he's done laying out his plan, all right? And so, so he's going to have it rolled out the way he sees fit, not the way that he's He's taking away their authority. He's saying, I've come now, and even though this is your playground, even though you think that, that you rule and reign this earth, these demonic beings, I've come to say, no, you have to obey me. We saw that last week, that the demon had to obey as Jesus cast him out of the man at the synagogue. Again, we see his authority over these people, over these beings that have been abusing people for thousands of of years. This is all part of his kingdom coming. But Jesus does care about people. As we see, many people are coming. They must have stayed at Simon Peter's house, and, and, and it says the whole town gathered at the door 
to watch. Now, one, one little thing I want to say about that. Sometimes you'll see the word all. You know, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, or the whole town came to the door. And people fight about this word, these words all the time, like, well, that, that must mean all, right? You've heard it. All means all, all the time. But really, no, this is actually hyperbole. It doesn't mean that every single human being that lived in the area actually came to the door. It just means a whole ton of people, a lot of people came to the door, and they were so desperate for healing. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about the things that he'd been doing that they were trying to do anything that they could to get people to the door. Now for us, I wonder, do we do that? Do we feel that way? Are we that desperate for Jesus that we're willing to, to make a trek along, you know, across, you know, 30 minutes on I-15 to, to get to the door, to meet Jesus? Or are we desperate for our family members and our friends to invite them to church, to invite them into a conversation, to invite them to a group or whatever it is, are we desperate enough like these people are or do we, do we mask all of our problems with, with other explanations? You know, I'm not saying that everything that we're going through in this life is some kind of a, a spiritual thing. It is because of something spiritual. But yet, our prior, priority as Christians is to first and foremost be desperate for Jesus for healing and, and for him to take away our afflictions and be desperate for our friends and family members as well. Because you could only imagine, as we saw last week, they, the friends lowered, lowered, or no, we're going to see this in two weeks actually, the friends, you've heard the story of the friends lowering the guy through the roof so Jesus could heal this guy. They were desperate. Are we desperate enough to get our friends to Jesus? He does care about our lives here and now, not just about eternity. Our eternity starts when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he can turn this whole thing around. That's why he came. He came to take over the kingdom of darkness and set up the kingdom of light. Jesus says this in John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what you've been dealing with this whole time in your entire life. The thief, he's talking about Satan, has come to steal your joy to kill you, to destroy everything you have and everything that you love. That's his purpose. That is the pain that they were suffering through because Satan was still ruling this world, and, he, and even is now. But he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life that can actually start now. But the problem is, is do we only seek Jesus for physical healing or physical care do we, or, or do we seek him for our eternal salvation, for the issues of our soul, for salvation, for holiness, for, for, for the help to be able to say no to sin and to say no to temptation? Because when he talks about a rich and satisfying life, he's talking about a life that is meant to be lived in the kingdom, a life fighting against sin and temptation. Not, he's not talking about being rich monetarily and having all the fun little toys and hobbies that you could possibly gather for yourself. No, he's talking about an abundant life that goes beyond this life. We see Jesus in one of the busiest days he's ever had 
since he started his ministry, he takes time to meet the needs of this broken world. People are important enough to God to take time for personal touches of power and love. But we see something interesting, that even though Jesus is God, he needs to take a break from all this. And that leads us to our next thing. We see that the next morning, the source of Jesus' selfless service is him recharging through prayer. He takes time for this morning prayer, and so for us, I think we can take an example from that. If Jesus needed time to get away from the busyness, the pain, the suffering of life, to refocus, because remember, this wasn't Jesus' main priority to come and just to take care of everybody's physical needs. So he needed a break, right? He needed to be connected back to God. He had been pouring himself out all day for the kingdom of God. He was pouring himself out for compassion on people. And that, that it brings to mind two different kinds of people in my mind, I think, here today. Some of you are really hard workers, and you want to get to work, and you want to be busy, and you want to always be doing something, and you want to be even serving and, and serving the church and just always busy. Well, for you, hopefully today, when what we look at in Jesus' point that he takes some time for prayer, hopefully for you, you realize that you're not doing all that stuff in your own power. While you should be compassionate on people, you should be serving, you should be expending yourself for the kingdom of God and for ministry you should not do that in your own power. You need to get recharged and revive sometimes through your alone time, through your spiritual disciplines with the Lord. But maybe secondly, you're here today and you're like, well, I love to receive all the things from Jesus, but don't really ever actually do a whole lot of anything else. I don't give back. I don't expend myself. I don't do a whole lot of spiritual disciplines. Well, the challenge is the same, is to look at this example as we ought to be like Christ and serve and give and take care of people and love people and bring them to Jesus. Yet we ought to also remember that we can't do that on our own. We do that in the power that God gives us. So Mark 1, 35-37, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray, Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus takes some time to get away from everybody. Isn't that interesting? So that he can be recharged, so that he can be refocused. He'd been expending himself, and now he needs to recharge and fill himself back up. He was pouring himself out, now he's got to be filled back up. Now, this is just one spiritual discipline of prayer, but I love how it says he does it in the morning. For me, um, I have to do mine in the morning, too. For those of you that are really busy people, you'll probably agree with me that if you don't get it done in the morning, it's probably not ever going to get done because so many things come up in the day, so many people and things that are pulling our attention and our priorities every which way and direction and so Jesus models for us a simple thing. Do it early in the morning, right when, right when you wake up or as soon as you get your coffee or whatever it is, 
Spend some time with the Lord in prayer because prayer helps us to refocus like it is to Jesus. He just spent this busy day doing busy work that is good. There's things that are good, but then there are things that are great. And sometimes the good gets in the way of the great. Sometimes things that we know that are, that are morally good or, or practically good, like we need to take care of our family, we need to have finances to provide, we need to have our kids you know, active, and we need to do a lot of things that are good, but sometimes when we overdo the good things, they get in the way of the great things, the things that we were made for, our purpose in life. If you're a Christian, our purpose is to team with God and bring his kingdom on earth. I could only imagine what Jesus was praying while he was there, talking to the Father, but it reminds me of one of his most famous prayers in the entire Bible. You know it. You've probably heard it. It's the Lord's Prayer. It says, it starts out with, uh, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then it gets to this part. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what makes me think that in that prayer that Jesus was praying, he was getting refocused maybe even asking this question, a rhetorical question, because Jesus is God. But he's talking to his father, and he's like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? All this busy work? All this, all this stuff that's seemingly good? Or do I have another purpose here to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth? Maybe you ask yourself the same question. All this busy work that you have going on in your life, what kinds of things have taken priority over connecting with the Lord? Over spiritual disciplines? Over reading your Bible? Over gathering together with other believers at church? Over, you know, fasting? Prayer, obviously. There's a lot of different spiritual disciplines out there that we do. Um, and disciplines, by the way, aren't just things that flow out of us naturally, although compassion and love and service should flow out of us because we're connected to God. But sometimes we just don't feel like doing some of these things, and so that's why it's called a discipline. We cause ourselves, we make ourselves, we train ourselves to do these things anyway so that we can be connected to the right purpose and the right priority, which is the last point. The main priority of Jesus' time on earth was to tell people the good news. The deepest need of the broken world around us is spiritual and not physical. So for all of us here who have pain and suffering and brokenness and people in our lives that take up a lot of our time and we really want to help and we really want to take care of so-and-so's addiction and so-and-so's financial problem and we want to fix everybody's issues in this life, we have to remember first and foremost that that is not our main priority as people here on this earth. If you are a Christian, it's to preach the good news. Now you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, that word really just means to share, to proclaim, to communicate. And so maybe you're not called to be a preacher on Sundays up on the stage, but every person is called to share the good news. 
We see Jesus' priority in these verses. But Jesus replied, after this time of refocusing, we must go on to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That is why I came. I came to preach the good news. And although there's a lot of busy work out there to do and things that are good out there, the reason why I came and I must stay focused is that I'm bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth, much like the prayer said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And when, when God's kingdom comes on earth, all of the issues we're worried about, all of the sin problems, all of the worry, all of the temptation, all of the physical struggles will be taken care of one day. And so the main priority has to be that Jesus goes and preaches the good news, the gospel. That even though there's physical brokenness in the world, everyone is broken and separated from God because of sin. We've all chosen to go our own way. We've all believed in our own opinion, our own idea. We've followed our own hearts. We've rejected the commandments of God and we've rejected the things that he's called us to do. And that makes us all sinners, including me. I may be one of the greatest sinners in here. But yet that's the bad news. The good news then is, is that this king came to solve that problem for you and for me. He came to take our place. We deserve to be prosecuted to the to the fullest extent of the law. We, we deserve death and separation from God. But God says, I'm not good with that, and so justice needs to happen because of sin, and there must be consequences. But Jesus, the king, took those consequences on himself. Comes down to earth, grows up, starts this mission, which ultimately leads to, at the end of his three-year mission on earth dies on the cross we just sang it is finished how deep the father's love for us in that song it's such a gospel centered song and on the cross he finished his mission it's done it's finished it's over the priority's been taken care of and yet jesus calls us now who have been saved by that message who believe in the good news and are forgiven by the Lord, not by works, not by being busy, not by going to church, but by faith alone and what Christ did alone. Those of us now that have been saved by that message and our lives have been changed and there are physical as well as spiritual and mental and emotional, all kinds of changes that have happened that we can see. There is fruit from our faith. I hope you're here today and you're a believer and you can say, I know that God saved me. My life has changed drastically from the time that I came to know him to now. Yeah, I still sin. Yeah, I still struggle. But if you look at my life 10 years ago to now, different person. Okay, That is the evidence that our faith has saved us because God came in and he changed us from the inside out. But for those of us who that's happened to, he's also called us. He says, okay, I'm leaving. He leaves. And the last thing he says, actually, one of the last things he says in the book of Mark is the Great Commission. He says, and then he told them, before he's about to ascend to heaven, and he left the leaders of the church involved and says, now go plant churches and build the kingdom and spread the good news. This is what he says. 
Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So even though, though Jesus took care of our biggest need, our biggest spiritual need, we still have his top priority as our top priority, to go preach the good news. So what does that mean for us practically? There's a lot of things we do in this life that we think is good, that are taking a lot of our time. Even good things that we do for people, compassion that we have on people, serving people. But the question is, should we do any of those things if they don't ultimately all point to and lead to the people in our lives seeing what Jesus has done in our lives or hearing what he's done in the world? And I would say the question is no. We shouldn't be focused on things that are somewhat good in this life but that aren't ultimately leading to the main priority. Now everything that we do, including our jobs, including our families, can be a part of that priority. But for you, as a believer, the question for you is, would you say that the good news is the top priority of your home? Is Jesus the top priority of your home? Is sharing him with people the reason why you serve? Or is it out of some other kind of religious guilt and shame that you think that God's going to love you more and that's why you serve? No, God loves you no more or no less from the day that you put your faith in him. You're not going to earn any more of God's love through work, through works. He loves you and me because of his son, by faith in him. But out of the overflow of our hearts and our connection with God, that we see the connection that Jesus had to the power source, then we ought to go out into the world and be busy and do work and share the good news. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you so thankful for all that you've done in our lives, that you've done in the world, this beautiful gospel that we're walking through. Lord, finally we're, we're figuring out who you are, more about you, more about your priorities, more about your love, more about your majesty and your glory. Let what we learn about you work its way out into our hands and our feet, our lives, and even our mouth. Help us to glorify you and share you with the people in our world, Lord, and make that a priority from here on out. If there are people here today, Lord, that don't quite know you, Father, I pray that you would draw them and open their eyes to see your love, to hear the good news, that by faith alone that they can be forgiven and saved and become your child. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.